Welcome back to Mastering Metail, a podcast brought to you by Flywheel Digital. You're listening to This Month Above the Fold, a new monthly series on the Mastering Metail feed where one of our digital commerce experts covers the three most important stories each month. And this is your May 2023 recap. I'm Emma Irwin, Senior Editor and Specialist at Flywheel, and I have Patrick Miller here, co-founder and co-president of Flywheel Digital here with me. Patrick, how have you been? Great. Thanks so much for having me on. Looking forward to the discussion today. Of course. Do you know, it's been 36 episodes of Mastering Metail since we last saw you. Congratulations. <laughs> and that is a, a testament to the number of talented colleagues that we have that I am uh, happily on my path to uh, irrelevance. <laughs> In the month of May, what was the best thing that happened to you? So my friends and I do this really dumb mountain bike ride every year, and it starts an hour before dawn, finishes an hour after dark. It's uh, 100 miles on single track, 14,000 feet of climbing. Attrition rate is typically 50%. So did that, and that was a great day out in the mountains, a whole bunch of big climbs and a bunch of fun downhills. So that was, uh, that was my highlight. That's a pretty good highlight, I'd say. All right, we can get into it. We're going to cover, as an overview, AMC Audience Builder, and then Walmart opening its second in-store fulfillment center, and some current issues regarding retail theft in stores. And getting into our first story, which is the AMC Audience Builder. I'd love for you, I know you've done this a million times on different streams and whatnot, but leveling the playing field here by just providing some kind of overview of this announcement and what really is the AMC Audience Builder. So AMC at its core is highly flexible, privacy first infrastructure that brands can build on top of and they can join and add just about any data set they like and create fascinating insights to understand which customers are more valuable or look at reach and frequency compared to what they're running offsite. You know, how does their D2C interact with Amazon? And because of this flexibility, you can create fascinating analysis what is driving the business, looking across media types, looking across retail, you know, et cetera. But up until Audience Builder, you could do this great analysis, get these wonderful insights, and then you sort of looked around, you're like, well, I don't know what I do with it. And so it was limited. And now with Audience Builder, you know, all of a sudden, it's not just insights, it's actually action. And so we can say, oh, this cohort of customers are you know, extremely valuable. Or if a customer exhibits this sort of behavior, this is somebody that we really want to reach out to. Or these are the folks that we think are going to have the highest propensity to purchase. And then we can then use a SQL statement, create an audience, and then push it right to the DSP and then reach them. And so it builds infrastructure and automation on using AMC to then build these unique audiences really you know, on a brand by brand level. And is that something that you couldn't have done before? Like, it sounds like just being able to target specific people. And is that, I know that's something you were able to do beforehand, but how is this different and like more complex? Well, it's not necessarily more complex. It's just a, using the typical DSP, you're typically looking at in-market audiences or lifestyle or even, you know, sort of ace and grain. You know, one of the challenges of, let's say, if I look at like an in-market audience is, well, what happens if a customer accidentally hit the browse node? Well, they're, they're now technically in market, but they didn't really want to be in that browse node. And so that's a wasted spend. At the same time, you know, we've seen tons of ASINs that are cross-browsed errantly. And if an ASIN is cross-browsed and then an, a, a customer hits that, 
Well, then they're pulled into that in-market segment, even though it's not really relevant. And so again, sort of two sort of instances where that would have been wasted spend. Well, with AMC, we can start to say, well, maybe I want to target just people, you know, who are searching and then saw a sponsored products ad on an individual query type. And so it's a much stronger signal. So if somebody goes in, you know, and searches for laundry detergent, as opposed to just hit a random ASIN within the laundry detergent browse node, the explicit typing into the search bar and then creating that audience is a much stronger signal. And what we've seen is sort of when leveraging this technology is that we're able to maintain scale, but we're seeing conversion rate oftentimes double because the audience is, you know, that much stronger. And it's a way to sort of reach customers, you know, of, of the highest intent and eliminate wasted spend. I've hit a lot of ASINs accidentally in search and then you start getting all of the ads for them. And I'm like, no, stop. You're wasting the money. I didn't mean it. Yeah, but seriously, but you think about just how much that's just waste. And so versus like if you type in the actual query, well, that's real intent. And so, again, it's a way of sort of figuring out what is the best way to reach these various customers. Can you give an even more specific example? We shared some stats on LinkedIn about those increases in conversion rate. But can you kind of in a relatively blinded way, sort of talk about like what exactly was done and how that increased conversion rate. Absolutely. Search one is a huge one. You know, other ones of, you know, sort of doing a frequency capping in a way across an entire um, entity, you know, as opposed to just on a line item. So that is, you know, absolutely helped decrease waste, as well as looking at sort of pinpointing certain targets. So let's say behaviorally, a customer hit a PDP X times during Y period of time, well, that's high intent. And so we actually want to increase frequency on those sorts of customers. And again, like this is bridging towards infrastructure, not flighting. And so to uh, like our goal in looking at this is figuring out what are these various pieces of infrastructure that we can build that we don't want to turn off because there are high levels of efficacy, low levels of waste and are highly performant. And so if we can then continue to sort of measure that and prove that out, that then creates a, a, an interesting infrastructure for brands um, to use on an ongoing basis. If there was one more feature you could add to AMC, what would it be? Longer term, sort of being able to have not just compute via SQL, but actually being able to model within AMC. So being able to model within it and sort of have an own container of a computer within AMC, it will be fascinating. And we're hopeful that they'll then release that. Seems a lot more convenient. Let's move into story number two, which is Walmart opening its second in-store fulfillment center. And so I think this one's a little bit more self-explanatory. But first question is, why is this only the second one? And then I'll draw the comparison just to, and I'm referencing a Winsight grocery business article where, you know, Target has utilized its stores to fulfill online orders for a long time. And Target and Walmart are obviously different. But why is this the only the second one for Walmart? So let me take a step back and I want to talk about selection. And so Amazon has about half a billion SKUs. Walmart.com has about 350 million. Walmart Supercenter, 100 to 130,000. Regional grocery store has about 30,000. And a convenience store um, typically has about 3,000. And so as you sort of go across the various formats, you know, you see the, the decline in selection relative to the increase in, in frequency of stores. And so said that another way, Amazon has one store, you know, Amazon.com, putting aside Fresh and, and Whole Foods right now. Walmart has 4,800 stores. And so they're figuring out is how to, they're, they're really good at real estate. 
been doing this for decades and decades. You know, you, you read um, uh, Sam Walton's book, you know, there's, you know, just, you know, talk about how he would fly around in a helicopter and look at the parking lots and how full they were. So this is in their DNA. And so now one of the things that they're figuring out is, okay, well, what are the modals of fulfillment? And sometimes that once they want it to come out of a centralized fulfillment center. Sometimes they want to have click and collect out of the store. Sometimes they're going to deliver from the store to the customer's home. And so with each of these, you know, is opportunity and to leverage their vast infrastructure to get items closer to the customer. However, as they get, you know, closer to the customer, they're constrained by the physicality of the store. And so they sort of have two options. Number one would be convert the stores all to looking more like an advanced auto parts where the shoppable space is a lot smaller and you have more SKUs in storage in the back. What they're doing instead is saying, hey, you know what? Like they're really good at merchandising and they're really good at brick and mortar. And so they're keeping that shoppable space and then, but they're adding additional capacity adjacent to the store. And so they're then able to sort of increase the amount of selection in that individual store to then help customers be able to discover more items than necessarily what they could have um, had they been constrained just by the physical shelf. Got it. And say this specific Walmart in-store fulfillment center impact the like digital selling environment for brands that I'm assuming are in that relative location, which is Northwest Arkansas in this example. But how does that impact just the selling competition and environment? For most brands, getting a face out on a Walmart shelf is transformative. And just the amount of revenue that that opens up is staggering. And, you know, because they are, you know, the country's largest retailer and, and, and you know, across those 4,800 stores. And so for Walmart, that is then, you know, limited by the, the physicality of the shelf. And so what this initiative does is that it allows more brands to get closer to customers. And so this then allows Walmart to say, like, let's say a customer is, you know, shopping for their weekly groceries and they're, you know, and they're shopping the household brands that they're used to purchasing at Walmart. Well, now Walmart can help surprise and delight them with additional selection via this new initiative because they're able to carry more SKUs than they necessarily could have, you know, on the physical shelf. And so this sort of, in the upside for brands, this will then allow more ability to experiment, emerging brands get into Walmart and test and prove how well it works. I, I think it's especially interesting on consumables where Walmart is so strong. You know, the downside is that if a brand has been protecting their shelf space for years and years, this is going to be a lot harder because there's going to be more brands than there were before. Typically, that there are two second order effects of that. Number one, the denominator on share gets bigger which means that sort of the existing brands, their share, you know, oftentimes will decline. And number two, it creates more auction density. And so as you have more auction participants, you then have more density, which then can oftentimes lead to an increase in cost per clicks. This is especially true as I think about sort of the grocery business, um, where there are a number of categories where they're, you know, within typical stores within grocery, there are only a few brands within a given category. And so this will then allow for more brands in those categories Boom. It's something that sounds so simple, but then when you break it down like that, it's like, wow, that's such a strategic play for a Walmart to pursue. It's a great one. We're really fascinated by it. To me, it's like the thing I really want to see is how does Walmart use its digital presence to help emerging brand get national distribution? And so to me, that's this is a really important step there to really bring more selection across the country. And, you know, to allow more brands that opportunity to work with Walmart. So fascinated to see how it goes and will be a 
really applaud Walmart for this initiative. Last story, we're looking at kind of the impact of organized retail crime that's currently going on. And specifically, we have Target CEO Brian Cornell, most notably kind of making public statements on the matter. But can you kind of provide an overview of what's been going on? I'm sure most people have actually experienced walking into a store and seeing kind of some of the damage of this. But your take on the overview. It's not just Target's comments, it's actions. And we're seeing physical retail stores sometimes shutting down in areas where they have you know high levels of shrink. And so this is then sort of the the underbelly of the space in the sense that this isn't arbitrage, you know, this isn't, you know, the gray market, this is organized crime. What we're seeing is that items that are, you know, high average selling price, uh, low cube are especially susceptible to these sorts of tactics. And what's happening is that people are going into stores, they're running off with inventory, and then they're reselling that online. And so that then one that hurts the store that was trying to sell it, you know, then you, which is why you have Target CEO talking about the challenge around shrink. But then two, it also hurts the brands. And in that the, the brands then have a problem where these sellers are then listing them on Amazon, on eBay, on Walmart, et cetera. And they're doing it at a lower price than they otherwise would. Then oftentimes the various retailers pricing algorithms will then match that lower price, which then sort of drives the retail engagement with the brand unprofitable. And so this is a compounding problem. It appears to be getting worse in talking with a number of brands. This is a constant headache. And it's beyond just, you know, I think Amazon's made a lot of progress in the last few years around counterfeiting. This is one that is, I think, a bigger deal right now. And it's, I I think, one that's going to take a lot of attention to try to figure out. Is there anything that brands can do proactively Or is it just kind of a, this is what it is, and you're going to have to just form those strong relationships with said retailer to try and kind of get a control on pricing? Well, pricing is at the sole discretion of the retailer. That's number one. You know, sort of how do you prevent prevent the shrink? One, I think sort of we've seen some brands, you know, working with retailers that they put more items behind locked cases. That's going to decrease sell-through. But the sort of second order effects of having the item stolen, you may rather have that. I think having, you know, candid conversations with the retailers where these items are being stolen, thinking about packaging. In certain ways, it's it's a little bit, if you made the items higher cube, which would then take up more space on the shelf, it would also hurt with outbound um, shipping is a possibility. Thinking about one of the things we saw like within Club a lot of years ago, especially in the sort of OTC space, we saw brands that would take packaging that was designed for the drug class of trade and then just do a three pack of it. And then that would then get, whether it's either bought and resold or stolen and resold, but because it was individually UPCs, customers could then you know, sell that as a seller. So really thinking through the packaging and can it be sold online is a huge one, but it, this is a, a really tough one. And I think it's Amazon has to raise the bar as far as who they let sell on the platform, because if they are able to stop these criminal, quite frankly, sellers from selling on Amazon, that then will then decrease the demand. And then, you know, they go back to selling them at flea markets or wherever. All right. You know this question. What is the most important story or most interesting story to you? You can take it either way of these three. I want to tie the first two. The last one's like, it's just not a fun one, but it's I think it's an important one. The first two are, to me, are fascinating. And so sort of brick and mortar, figuring out additional selection and then what happens. And then Amazon with an audience builder, empowering brands to find these unique audiences and then activate against them. So 
to me, those are both huge fun ones. And uh, since it's been a while since I've been on this podcast, I'm going to take the liberty of, of picking two. That is totally okay. And I have one new question for you. A prediction you have for something we'll see maybe happen next month or any kind of interesting things you think we should be keeping our eyes out for? So my prediction is that Q4 is going to be tougher than people think. If I go back to last Q4, the retailers tended to be a bit long on inventory coming into holiday. Target and Walmart sort of burned off inventory a little bit earlier. Amazon held onto it more, but they were pretty promotional because of how long they were on inventory. This year, everybody is much leaner on inventory because of the increasing concern about the potential of a recession. And so coming into holiday, the laps are going to be really tough because you're going to be comping a highly promotional period last year. So how brands want to activate promotions, how retailers want to drive performance versus last year. But I think it's going to be a tough Q4 relative to the lap. And that's it for this month's e-commerce news. Tune in next month for our June recap and be sure to share this episode if you enjoyed it. This episode was produced by Klaus Cancel with sound design by Enos Tenchi. I'm Emma Irwin and I'll see you next time. <laughs>